Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is July 22nd, 2014, and this is a Tuesday, and we're at episode 1391 today. Uh, I'm kind of following up on some recent themes that we had on Friday's and Monday's show about personal liberty. I got a lot of emails from people that said, okay, fine. Uh, you say that to, to have personal liberty, thou must think for thyself. Thou must turn off thy boob box, stop listening to the dichotomy, and form independent thought. And when thou dost so, thou may then work for personal liberty. And until thou dost so, thou shall have none of this personal liberty you speak of. Fine. So I've started to do that. What next? How do I actually design a life for personal liberty? On some levels, this is what we talk about every day. Feeding yourself, controlling your debt, being intelligent, thinking for yourself, planning what you're going to do next, finding the work that you love, taking care of your family, being a strong family, building resiliency into your life. But today, I shall try to answer that question for you in a show entitled Designing Your Life for Personal Liberty. More on that in a bit. Let's go ahead and take care of those sponsors first. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is JM Bullion. Hey, I'll tell you what. Sometimes I make comments about silver and gold that are misconstrued. What I say is, basically, if you listen to the bald guy on TV that says your dollars will be worthless soon and go buy all the silver and gold you can get immediately right now, 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 you're being a dumbass. Because you are. Silver and gold are commodities. They are stores of wealth, they do have value, and they are a great hedge against inflation. But I view them as an insurance policy. 5-10% to 10 of your net wealth, I believe, belongs in silver and gold and other precious metals. And to get that precious metal, I think you should pay a great price. I think you should get great service, and I don't think you should pay any more than you have to for it. And that means you should go to JM Bullion, because that's what you're going to get. Great service, great pricing, uh, and you won't have to pay more than you're going to pay anywhere else for it. In fact, I found their pricing to be better than Monix and Atmex, who are two of the biggest names in the industry. And whenever there is a problem, and there is occasionally a problem with anything that involves human beings, I'm able to get directly in touch with Michael, the president and owner of the company, and he sorts it out for people. That's the type of thing I'm looking for in a sponsor. I have silver and gold in my portfolio, and when I need more, I buy it from JM Bullion. I think you should, too. Next up today, Western Botanicals. Western Botanicals is my go-to source for everything herbal. Um, I'll tell you that the biggest chronic thing that I deal with is just I'm getting a little older, and I have aches and pains. I have shorts. I have a shoulder that I had a very serious injury in when I was 19 years, actually 18 years old in the Army. And uh, that occasionally comes back and is, is quite aggravating when it does. I have what you would call bursitis. And this is a real word, crapulous, <laughs> in that joint. And uh, I just get sore in my back and things like that sometimes from working on the uh, little farm we have here. And instead of going to ibuprofen or Tylenol or something like that, I use an anti-inflammatory uh, formula. Uh, that's made up mostly of turmeric from Western Botanicals. That's the one that I use the most, and they have a deep heat ointment that I use as well. And anything else I need, I go there first. And if I'm not sure what I need, I call them, and they help me out because they're real people that really care. 
They're also a huge supporter of the show, and they have a discount uh, program called Premium Membership, and that gives you 25% off everything they buy. People buy it every day for 50 bucks a year. If you are a TSP listener at all and use the link on our website, you can buy it for $25, half price, and then you can renew it for $25 if you want to keep it the next year. If you are an MSB member, you get that $50 product for free. So it basically covers your first be- your first year of MSB membership. And if you use a lot of herbals like I do, a 25% discount on high-quality herbal uh, stuff is very, very significant. Anyway, with that, I've gotten through the uh, the sponsors, and I've mentioned the MSB, so I'm just going to leave the MSB at that today. I'll just say I would appreciate it if you join, and you're a military member, law enforcement member, or a firefighter, uh, paramedic, or other first responder. You do qualify for a discount. You can email me for that, jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in uh, one or two sentences. That's all I need. Let's talk about the year that was the episode. I got an interesting one for you today. Fits in with what we're talking about here, planning for the long haul in a way. After the Mongols, the Mongols, Mongols, I almost said Muggles like uh, Harry Potter, right? After the Mongols, the reforesting of China in 1391, it was no easy task for the Chinese to throw off their Mongol overlords. The landscape has been devastated by war. Some regions have been depopulated. Now under the Ming Dynasty, the economic reconstruction has begun. 50 million trees will be planted this year with the goal of rebuilding the economy through merchant shipbuilding. Chinese windmill palms will provide fiber for ropes. Varnished trees have multiple purposes and their seeds are edible. Stercilia trees are used as an ancient Chinese medicine depending on the species. Caution, some contain dangerous alkaloids. I wonder if they really contain it in significant amounts or not. You know, we hear that with comfrey. They probably do in this this, uh, particular instance. Stercilia trees are generally generally smell bad. They are named after the Roman god Stercilia. Quillianus, the god of uh, fertilizer. I wonder if he's really like the god of shit, if that's what he means, and he's just being nice about that. <laughs> Do they have such a thing? Uh, the god of poo. Anyway, the god of poo. Uh, by 1396, over 84 million fruit trees will be planted, um, but the Chinese won't benefit from this effort until the turn of the century. By the way, that would only be four more years. Uh, it's about four years to get fruit trees into production. My take by Alex Shrug. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Chinese proverb. It is not clear where the Chinese are getting all these saplings because it's not like they can pick up semi-mature trees at a local garden center. Recovery from the Mongols is going to take a long time, so they're thinking long-term first. Growing the things that take a long time to mature and following up with mid-term needs, such as fruit trees. You don't have to tell anyone how to plan for the short term. Everyone knows how to do that. I can tell you where they were getting all of the trees. Uh, They were planting seed, mostly. Uh, grafting wasn't heavily done, I don't believe, in the 1300s, and uh, a lot of the selecting of specific fruit types really didn't happen until a little bit later. Uh, most trees were propagated through seed, and if you think about it that way, one tree produces a lot of seed. And this actually probably allowed them to move quicker. Now, they may not have gotten the absolute highest quality tasting fruit from every tree, but what they ended up with was basically civiculture or or planting trees and a large death rate. Uh, Ancient civiculture especially has a very high rate of failure. So you overplant. You plant way more than will fit in the area and you selectively harvest as the trees mature. And you select for better tasting, faster fruiting, more resiliency, less pest damage, And the genetic roulette works in your favor because you become the house. 
And that's uh, kind of what we were talking about yesterday with the question on black cherries. So it's a very interesting, well-timed thing. What I like is planning for the future and how that will fit in with today's show. And I'll leave it at that, and we'll get into today's show. So, um, again, I want to kind of just rehash um, why I'm doing this show. Basically, i got a lot of people, a few in comments and a bunch in emails, saying, you know what, you've done a real good job of beating up recently on people who refuse to think for themselves. But please understand, the majority of us listen to you and don't turn you off because we do. And as, as, as you said yourself, if you don't think for yourself and you don't want to and you turn TSP on, it won't be long before you turn it off. So those of us who are here, who have been here a long time or even that are very new and have found you and have listened to this and said, yes, this makes sense, we are thinking for ourselves. I even had one guy say, I may not be thinking for myself fully yet, but I know there's a lot of bullshit out there and I'm asking the right questions so I'm right on the right track. Where do I go from here? And please understand, I can only do so much here. And here's why. In some ways, when you say this, what you're telling me is you tell me what I should do with my liberty. You tell me what I should do with my liberty. Well, that's not liberty. And I know that you mean more than that, but on the surface, that's what you're saying. Tell me how to have my liberty. Tell me what to do with my liberty. And that's counterproductive. Let's talk about why people think that way, though. When people learn how to do anything in society today, that's how we have built our educational system to be. Instead of saying, if you want to learn how to br build a bridge, then go get popsicle sticks and build a bridge. And at least in some, some high school projects still do that. My son took an engineering course in high school, and they, they kind of did that. But... In general, we say, well, this is how you build a bridge. Instead of saying, go out and find out how to build a bridge and then build one. Go out and research it. Go out and figure out. Go out and find the information for yourself. And we also say, well, you're going to learn how to build a bridge today. Instead of saying, what do you want to learn how to do? And now here's the process for, of discovery for learning that. See, to me, that's a real education. But then everybody would learn different things, and they wouldn't know the same stuff that's important. No bullshit. Let me tell you what everybody would learn. If that was the approach we took to education, from seven years old on, and we didn't even have kindergarten, and first grade started when you were seven instead of six, okay? If that was the approach that we took, everybody that wanted to would learn basic reading, basic writing, Basic mathematics, basic scientific principles, basic history, and exceptional research capability. Everybody that wanted to would learn that. Well, the kids that don't want to aren't going to learn, and they're not learning now. See, this is, let me throw an aside in here for you so you can start to understand how to start picking apart objections, especially when they're internal objections in your own mind because they've been programmed in there. Mark Shepard in his book, Restoration Agriculture, does a great job of a lot of things. One thing I wish he would have done more of in that book would have been how to versus why we should. Okay, I bought the book hoping to learn a lot more about how he does what he does. And I learned a whole lot about why we should do things the way he does them. Well, the problem is he's preaching to the choir. Most of the people buying that book are not conventional agricultural farmers, and I'm hoping he'll follow up restoration agriculture with something like 
implementing restoration agriculture. I'd, I'd love to see that. More diagrams of the farm, more explanations of the systems that he puts in place. More, here's a piece of land. It starts out in phase one. Here's phase two. Here's phase three. Here's phase four. But he does a really good job of explaining away the big objection of modern agriculture. The big objection of modern agriculture when they look at anything natural, organic, permaculture, etc. is you can't feed the world with that. We feed the world with corn. And then he takes corn and the total calories of corn and he breaks down what actually happens to the corn from an acre of land. And then he breaks down what the nutritional value of those calories are and explains that if someone were to try to live just on that corn, how many nutritional deficiencies they would develop and how many different ways they could die depending on which one manifested in their body first and pretty much points out to the, to, to the counter argument to, to modern agriculture, you are not feeding the world. There's people starving all over the world right now. And much of what you're growing is being turned into fuel. And a lot of what you're growing is being made into byproduct. And those byproducts are nothing but empty calories that are not nourishing people. And you're not feeding the world. So instead of comparing total calories of production in, in my model versus your model, let's look at total nutritional value in my model versus your model. How many people could actually be sustained from this? And he makes a very clear case that his method, his you know, which is basically the combined methods of many, works better. And, and it, it, it's not whether or not his method can feed the world, it's can his method do more than what supposedly is feeding the world. Because the objection presupposes that modern agriculture currently feeds the world. And anybody with a TV knows that's not true. So kind of the first thing you have to do with this, this whole new thought process is stop accepting statements as being valid just because you've heard them a lot of times. And that really is the first step toward independent thinking. is to stop buying a belief just because it's often repeated. Where is the source for this? And then I, I do want to cover something else that's happened to bloggers. I got somebody that's got some bug in their ass because they saw some tree dug up somewhere that doesn't know what they're looking at that, that thinks they're doing this that's just being a pain in the ass to be a pain in the ass. In another episode I recently talked about with trees, I said that the root biomass of a tree is generally equal to or greater than the amount of the tree above the ground. Are there exceptions to this? Of course. But his claim was, I saw a road cut where they dug up a redwood, and the redwood's brute biomass was only maybe 1% of the tree. Well, if that was true, the tree would fall over, first of all. But, you know, he's basically demanding that I prove that statement. Well, my response is, you know what? Don't demand anything of me. I'm quoting things from recognized experts and out of recognized studies I'm not going to cite every th single thing I do in an hour and a half, two-hour show. I don't have time to. A lot of stuff I have recall of. If I'm wrong, prove me wrong. Don't demand my, me to prove myself right. And that's the approach you have to take in this. You, you, you don't accomplish what we're talking about today by questioning everything from a standpoint of telling the, the source you're wrong. You, you gain insight to that source by investigating the claim for yourself and proving it right, wrong, or mostly right, or mostly wrong, or in most instances you'll find that it depends. 
my claim that the root biomass of a tree is generally equal to or greater than the biomass of a tree above the ground has the word in it generally, which means it does not apply to every single tree. Though the root biomass of a redwood tree, which is what this guy's objecting to, is much bigger than he's making it out to be. He's looking at a slice like a CAT scan. The root biomass of a redwood can take up an acre of soil. Most of the root biomass is in very small roots, and when you cut that tree or pull it over or whatever, a lot of those roots stay in the ground. They tear off. They rip off. You only see the smaller root ball. The root biomass extends out over 100 feet in all directions, a, a 100-foot circle, and will run anywhere from 2 to 4 feet deep with a redwood. No big tap root. And those roots will, will biologically graft themselves to the roots of other trees. Essentially, to measure the root biomass of a redwood, you have to me measure the total root biomass of all the redwoods to all the redwoods standing. And it doesn't even matter if his claim that it was 1%, which is wrong, was right. It doesn't change my statement. See, that's an, uh, that's an example of arguing a point just to argue a point. If you're going to take a point and research it, before you do that, ask yourself, does this really matter and pertain to me, or am I just trying to be the guy that points out flaws in the, in the audience of a presentation when I don't know anywhere near as much as the presenter does, and I'm just trying to look smart? And that's what so many people are doing. So many people do this when they sit in front of their TV sets, challenging the guy on the TV. Is he talking about something that actually matters to you? Not that you're concerned about, but actually affects your life. And if not, not only why are you arguing with him, because he doesn't hear you, why are you listening to him? That's, that's the key. There's so many people that listen to this show, they're just waiting to jump on that one thing that he's wrong about. And in some cases, it's helpful. In most cases, it's inaccurate and wrong. If I hear one more person whine about global warming, I swear to God, from now on, all I'm doing is sending the link to the Suspicious Observers video and saying, if you can find one scientific fact that's inaccurate in this presentation, I'll listen to you. No one's met that challenge. I've had two things happen. One, people watch it and go, uh, well, I can't. Or people just go, oh, he's some hack or some idiot without watching it, which means your, your opinion's irrelevant. But there's so many people who are just waiting for that one thing to point. Oh, it's wrong! It's wrong! It's wrong! What's the totality of the message? Does it work? And if that one thing's wrong, does it really matter? And is it wrong? Or can you find an instance of it being wrong? Finding an instance of something being wrong doesn't make it wrong, especially when people use words like generally, or most of the time, or frequently, or most often. And then when you can find an exception, well, the exception was noted in the use of the qualifying word generally, most often, frequently, most of the time. Anyway, you, you might think I'm nitpicking now because of a personal bone to pick with this, but the reality is it is important that you get past that type of thinking. Because the first thing that happens when a person begins to think for themselves, they go to the immature level of the thought process, which is you're wrong, you're wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong. And it doesn't matter who's wrong. Let me tell you something. My, my dad used to have a saying. People are basically assholes. They all have stuff that tumbles out of them, and most of it stinks. So what? Unless it's falling on you, you shouldn't care what somebody over there thinks. 
You have your own life to live. You have your own life to live. And in many ways, this internet is the greatest blessing to humanity because it enables us to find information and research things and learn things so much faster than any time in history. But it's clogged up with the same stupid bullshit pre-programmed nonsense that's on the news and then people take from their side and the big divide in this country of course is liberal and conservative democrat and republican from their side and they polarize they and they regurgitate that information in a way that's designed to prove 100% they're right and the other person's wrong well if you ever think you're 100% right and the other person's 100% wrong you're an idiot you're an idiot Now, I'm not talking about an individual specific example or issue, right? But if it's a complex issue, odds are the other side has some legitimate points. And if they didn't, their marketing wouldn't be effective to their drones, just like your side's marketing wouldn't be effective to you because you're one of their drones. And you have to separate from this. And, and if you don't, you'll never get anywhere. And you have to design your life. I mean, I know I'm talking about personal liberty today, and then I, I'm saying you can do whatever you want, and then I'm saying, well, you have to design your life. And, and the truth is, you don't have to design your life. But if you want personal liberty, you do. Uh, here's what I mean by that. If you don't design your life, society will design it for you. Society will assign you a role based on what your grades are, what you know, what your capabilities are, what kind of car you drive, how much money you make, uh, where you went to school, etc. The color of your skin, uh, your sex, your age, how tall you are. I'll tell you that in, in the business world, uh, as a if you are a male in the business world, you are better off being a tall black guy than a short white guy. Uh, I'm telling you flat out. If, if all things are equal... People say there's this still racial problem. I'll tell you one of the biggest, the biggest things I've seen discriminatory against men in the workplace is they're, if they're short. They're just not taken seriously. Now, can you overcome that? Of course you can. If you're, if you're dealing in a situation with people who don't know a lot of African Americans and you happen to be black, can you get past that prejudice if it's not Hateful prejudice, it's just ignorant prejudice. Of course you can. Of course you can. But you, you can't use either one as an excuse and expect to get anywhere. Society has its prejudices. They exist. Some are due to ignorance. Some are due to malice. And the ones that are due to malice are anchored with ignorance. And then there's the people who are complete idiots from the group that is you know, being uh, held prejudiced against that justify the prejudice for the ignorant. And that's the way life is. See, I can't tell you that everything's going to be super and special and okay. I, I can't tell you that you should just ignore people like that. Because if you want to partake in the part of the world that they are occupying and you have to work past them. You have to be smarter than them, you have to be better than them, and you have to work harder than them. And just saying you do doesn't mean that you do. Before I move on, just these are the preconceived things that are programmed into you that I'm trying to pull away from you today. 
When I was a young man, very young, just out of the army, my first job I had, I worked in a warehouse and I packed boxes. It was brutal work. It was 120 degrees in that warehouse in the, uh, in the summertime in Texas, at least. And we had uh, to pack $10,000 worth of merchandise a day to meet our quota. And that might not sound like a lot, but you're talking about very low-dollar items. The, the company was called Home Interiors and Gifts. You're packing things like a, a $2 box of candles, right? So you had to pack $10,000 worth of merchandise in, in, a, in a day to meet your quota, in a nine-hour day at the packing table. And as you exceeded your quota, you got a bonus. So we all made the same hourly rate. People got raises based on how long they were there and consistently meeting their quota, but the, the pay scale was the same. There were both male and female packers. And the men made more money than the women, even though the pay scale was identical. Well, one day, the women all got together and went on like a mini strike, which didn't last very long because there's no union at this place, and basically were demanding that they be put on a pay structure that let them earn as much money as the men because it was unfair to women that the men were paid more. And there's a lot of people in this world today that if you explain that to them, they'd say, well, we should have equal, equal pay, equal work. Well, that's what was there. Well, their claims are, we sweat just as much, we work just as hard, we work just as long hours, we should make the same money. But you weren't paid your bonus for working hard, you were paid your bonus for results. And basically what they wanted was their quota lowered so that they would be more likely to bonus. And they wanted it to be acknowledged that, okay, since we are not as strong, we can't, we can't move as fast, we can't pack as fast. And the company's stance was, you want equality, you have it. If you want a different job, you can have a different job. But if you want to pack, this is the pay structure for packers. And to tell you the truth, those of us that were bonusing made some extra money, but it wasn't a lot. But that's a perfect example of people thinking they're being discriminated against. You beg for equality, you get it, and then you don't like it. These are the pre-programmed things that are in people's minds. And all of this pre-programming is what will create in your life someone else designing your lifestyle. Every person there, including me at the time, was wrapped up in stupid debates like this. And the reality is none of us should have been fighting to, to get paid better at this job. We all should have been looking for something that paid better somewhere else. Or to move if you wanted to stay there, to move up in that company to do something other than pack boxes and load them on a truck. What got me is a lot of these people that were there doing this job had been doing it for 10 or 15 years. Well, frankly, if that's all you can do after 10 or 15 years, that's as far as you can go in a company, you don't deserve much more. That's not right. Of course it's right. You're not developing your skill set. You're not increasing the value to the company. The truth is, I can bring somebody in off the street, and in three weeks I can train them to do your job just as well as you're doing it. So your job's only worth as a commodity to me X dollars a day. That's it. That's equality. Get used to it. That's the way the world works. And, and getting a union and demanding better pay and all won't change that. The company will move somewhere else, or the company will go out of business, or the company will pass on the cost to their their customers, and eventually the custom company will downsize, and people will get laid off. The people that are there might make a little bit more money, but they will there will be less people with jobs. It's the real world. Get used to it. That's not a Republican issue. That's not a Democrat issue. That's a reality issue. 
And that's, that's as you go into personal liberty, you have to start looking at things from a reality standpoint. What you believe is far less important than what is. You can believe, if I step off this building, I will float. Because I have decreed it so. And you can believe it with all your heart and all your soul. And if that building's more than one story, you're probably dead and you're definitely hurt no matter what. Because what is so, what is true, is when you walk off a building, you fall to the ground. And what you believe doesn't mean shit. Got it? It doesn't mean anything what you believe. Nothing at all. What is, is what matters. Now, you might believe what's true, and then it matters. These are the ways you have to start thinking. But if you don't start thinking this way, then society assigns you a life. And it usually involves being ridden with debt or living off the government. Those are the two main choices that end up happening today. And there really isn't an option C if you're not in control. Society will push you into debt so that you can have a good job and live in a good neighborhood and send your kid to good schools. And I'm air quoting all of this. Or if you give up, there is a safety net, which is not a safety net. It's a safety hammock that you can climb your ass into and live off of, and you will you will be completely miserable. For all the talk and bashing of the people on welfare and government support, um, even the ones that say they like it that way or whatever, their lives are completely miserable. They earn just enough to survive. The obesity rates among them are huge. The malnutrition rates among them are huge. The number of people who end up with a foot cut off in that group is massive compared to the rest of the population. Their children are less likely to go to college. Their children are more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to end up in prison. They are likely to be living in a place that's either infested with roaches or rats or both. Well, the hell with them. They chose that. On some levels, they did. On some levels, they did. But on some levels, they're fourth and fifth generation people that don't know there is another way. It's up to them if they're going to think for themselves. And just like it's up to you if you're going to think for yourself. And, and the same person that looks down their nose at that person is completely miserable in their life. Because they have no money. Because they're deeply in debt. But their yard's nice and green and it's perfectly edged. And when anybody down the street parks their car in the wrong place, they can yell to the blue-haired old lady that runs the HOA to make them move their car and put it where it belongs so everything looks nice and neat and everything's in a straight line. And they hate their life. They pretend to enjoy it. They tell their friends how happy they are. They mention that they just got accepted to this country club or whatever. They show them their fancy new car that they have on a lease or whatever. But in the end, they have no money and they're completely miserable. And they're the majority of Americans. We call the middle class. And we call the middle class all the way up to upper middle class to even affluent. And these people from one end of the spectrum to the all the way to the lower middle class are miserable. And they're all in the same condition. They might have made their cell look a little prettier. They might have more gizmos and gadgets as they move toward the upper end. But in the end, they're all a slavery to the debt. And they all are living the life that society designed for them, and it's simply because nature abhors a vacuum and they've chosen not to design their own life. 
They've bought into all the lies of society. Debt is normal. You're no one in this country if you don't owe somebody money. Your credit rating is one of the most important things in your life. It's okay to borrow ridiculous amounts of money to go to college because you're going to make so much more money than if you don't. Lie, 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 lie. They bought into it. So as you move forward from there, you have to actually say to yourself, well, how do I define personal liberty? So I'll start with how I define personal liberty. If I am living in a state of personal liberty, I am able to live my life on my terms to the best ability based on what's reasonable in current society. And I have enough resiliency and redundancy in my life that if certain things that are, that are enabling me to do that fail, I don't immediately fall out of that state and I'm able to get back on my feet and back into it very quickly. I have proper insurance, not just from a, a financial product system, but from a design standpoint. So that if I can't work, that my money doesn't just stop coming in 100%. So that if the food that I'm growing this year fails because I have taken that as part of my life, there are other stores put away that will fill in for that until my next attempt to grow my own food. So that if my son is injured uh, when he's still young and living in my home and I have to take time to help with his rehabilitation, I can do that. So that if I lose a job, I can see it as an opportunity instead of a true loss. So if my house burns down, I can rapidly get back into the state we were in before it burned down. And it's all couched within reason with current society. Because if I was living my life on my own terms, I damn sure wouldn't be giving as much money to the government as I do every year. But it's not reasonable for me to think that I can live without paying taxes today. And all the people that tell you you can, they will eventually find themselves in an orange jumpsuit. And if you follow them, you will find yourself there too. And it's hard to have your personal liberty when you're in a jail cell or federal prison, which is where you're more likely to go if it involves federal taxes. Or if they don't put you in federal prison but garnish your wages for the rest of your life because they inflate the amount you owe through taxes and penalties to a point, you basically live your whole life as a debt prisoner to the government. Well, they will even garnish your Social Security at some point. So you have to do this within reason. So that's my definition of personal liberty. But if you just say, oh, that's really good, that's my definition too, I think you're making a huge mistake. I think when you, if you do an exercise where you require yourself to come up with a definition, odds are it'll be dramatically similar, but it'll be yours. It won't be word for word. You won't be parroting something. You won't be learning it the way you've learned most of what you've learned up till now. Go to school, read a book, take a test, prove you learned the material, now you pass, now you know. 90% of that information or more is lost and not retained in the long-term memory. So that means you actually didn't learn anything. And even if you do retain it, you're only retaining the formula that somebody else wrote for you versus the, the knowledge of how to apply that information so that you can construct your own life. See, I think you need to write your own definition of personal liberty. And you might find that definition changing over time. As you, as you experience more and more of it, you might find that it actually means more to you and you become more passionate about it, and the way you describe it becomes more colorful and more passionate and more valuable to you. I'll tell you that there are some things in this realm that are not optional. They are required. Now, 
It doesn't mean you have to do them, but it means if you want personal liberty, you have to do them. And what I'm trying to say is you have free choice, but certain choices will result in disaster. And this is the same as if you said to me, if I was a great architect, and you said, I want you to teach me how to design a building. Now, I may not be able to give you all the knowledge that an architect has, but I could probably teach you the basics of building design in a couple months, where you could probably design buildings with, you know, without going to the crazy skyscraper level, you could design reasonable buildings really, really quick that would be quite functional and quite effective. And most buildings in the history of the world weren't designed by architects. They were designed by people that learned from other people that knew what they were doing. And we didn't have the formal study of architecture 2,000, 3,000 years ago the way we do today. They built some pretty amazing things. There was some, a lot of engineering knowledge going on back there. But it wasn't necessarily a university system that was teaching it. So I could teach you, if I was a great architect, how to design a two- or three-story building and, and what materials to use and how to do that. And you could do a lot with that information. You could design a hundred buildings that all looked a hundred different ways and all had a hundred different functions. But there's going to be certain laws, certain constants in this design, like the size of the foundation to the size of the building. Certain engineering rules about how a wall has to be constructed. And if you break those rules, the building will fall in on itself. So even though you have complete freedom with applying the knowledge to the design, There's certain things that are not optional in a building, or it will fall down. Okay, and, it, and, and when people do things that seem to defy that, there's always some major engineering component that enabled it. So you say, well, your span can only be X in an open room, and then somebody has a, a room that's three times that. But there's an awful lot of steel up in that roof that's holding that suspension up. So... You have to learn the techniques, and you can't break the engineering laws. Well, in personal liberty, there's certain things that are non-optional, and one is the elimination, at least of all consumer debt. And, and the, the, the absolute refusal to continue using it. And when I say consumer debt, I'm talking about anything other than a house or a car, and I don't like car debt. I really don't. Though there's a way, there's ways that it can be structured where it makes sense. I mean, we're learning through this experience with our new Toyota that leasing sometimes makes a lot of sense. Total dollars spent out of pocket over time driving a really great vehicle is lower. And when structured into part of a business, deductible. Oh, well, now it makes sense. But there's certain rules and laws for the application of that tool. And if they're broken, then there is catastrophic failure. And if you're buying shit that you don't have to have, you just want to have on a credit card and carrying debt, you are destroying your life and you will not have personal liberty. If you're doing things like getting a new stereo for your car, paying for it with a credit card, and you still have debt you're carrying a year later, you're wrong. You will not have personal liberty in your life. If you're sitting on a credit card with $40,000 worth of debt on it, but you're excited because somebody gave you a new credit card that has another $20,000 limit on it, and you can just keep paying it and keep it running like that, you're not going to have personal liberty. 
The elimination, at least, of consumer-level debt is required. And if you have student loan debt, that has to go, too. It is the most insidious, worst kind of debt that there is. There is no debt worse than student loan debt because it is the one debt that cannot be gotten rid of through bankruptcy. And I'm not suggesting bankruptcy is your first option, but knowing that even if you go through a bankruptcy, you cannot escape that debt. There's no way to discharge that debt. They will haunt you to the ends of the earth. They will garnish your social security. You know that it's an insidious debt. And some of you guys have had your student loan debt around so long, you should give it a name and call it a pet. I know people that got out of school with $40,000 in student loan debt, that 20 years later have $30,000 in student loan debt. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And they've been making payments. Minimum payments. They tell you stupid shit like, do you know like for the first six months after you get to school, you don't even have to pay on it at all? Yeah. Then you can pay really, really small amounts based on your income for so many years? Oh, that's why all the interest accrues. Good job there. you got to get rid of the debt. It's not optional. I think that if you are in a, a relationship and you really want personal liberty in your life, Having that partner eventually be 100% on board is not optional. That You might have to make some really tough decisions in your lives. If you are in a relationship with somebody who is constantly spending money on Visa and MasterCard, and you get to a point where you realize how stupid that is, and you say this has to stop, and they say, I just don't want to. I'm going to keep doing this. There's a term in the Bible, and I'm not a religious man, but again, I quote, I quote wisdom where I see it, and it's called being unequally yoked. And when you're in a relationship where somebody is financially damaging the family, and one person's trying to save it, and they're completely at odds with each other, you're unequally yoked. It doesn't mean you file for divorce the next day. Odds are you were all on board for a very long time, and it took something to jar you awake. But, I mean, it's time to sit down face-to-face, hands-in-hands, and say, Honey, we can't keep doing this. And if you insist on continuing to do it, I'm telling you sooner or later you're going to be doing it alone because I'm not going down this road anymore. And it's not just debt, but it's the biggest one. The biggest destroyer of marriages today is debt and financial stress that goes along with it. It's almost never the case that when you talk to a, a, to a couple that's been divorced, no matter what they give you for the reason of that divorce, when you ask them, well, um, how much debt is there in the marriage? That they, one, use cuss words to describe the other person and blame them for it and say, I have half of it now. Which means they, the other person has the other half, which conveniently gets ignored. And that means that the debt, whatever it was, was doubled when they were together. And if you don't think, I don't care if they say the spouse cheated, I don't care if you say he was a workaholic, I don't care what you say, if you don't think that stressor was at least a main cause of the the, 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 the dissolving of the marriage, you're just not being honest. So when you, you take a spouse in this relationship and very gently and, and say, you know, this has to stop, and if it results in the, the dissolving of the marriage eventually because they refuse... I hate that, but I'm telling you, it's probably where you were going anyway, eventually. It probably is. 
I, I think that once you've gotten to a certain point in debt, if you can't pull your head up and realize how catastrophic the failure is and you're just going to continue on that path, frankly, if you're in my life, you're doing it alone because I'm not going with you. I know that's harsh. And I'm not saying again that you know if you have one meeting with your spouse and they say no, you file for divorce. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it has to be a continual ongoing discussion. And there has to be some level of stopping. And it shouldn't be a yelling, screaming, and accusational situation. And it should always use words like, we have, we have chosen, we have done this for a long time, we are saddled with, we need to fix this. Never you. If you use the word you in that discussion, then you deserve the response you get, which is going to be a giant middle finger. It is we. And I don't care if they are the ones that do all the spending. If you have permitted it to exist in your marriage for this long and you have enabled it, then it's we. And you are just as responsible. And to say anything else is disingenuous. And don't be surprised when they don't want to get on board. But I think that the partners in a relationship, in order to have liberty in your life, have to be on board. That doesn't mean that you get everything you want. Well, I want to live in the country, so she should go live in the country. I don't like the city. Well, it doesn't work that way. A relationship is a compromise. But it may mean we're not going to live in a three-quarter of a million-dollar McMansion anymore. That We need to be more realistic about our living conditions if we're going to stay in town or what have you. Or maybe we can find a happy medium. I want to live way out here. She wants to live way in here. Maybe there's something in the middle. And both sides need to be willing to compromise. But you can't have somebody that's all wrapped up in the world in a relationship and have the other person seeking personal independent thought and liberty and have a happy relationship. Because you'll grow further and further apart. That's one of the reasons this isn't easy. It's one of the reasons this is hard. Usually, loving marriages survive this process. If, if there's real love there and real care there for each other, because it's a better way to be, eventually the other spouse does begin to see the value in it. And they do, you know, you have to have conversations like, if we didn't have all this debt, how different would our life be? But we can't, just let, let's let all that go, hon. And let's just ask that question. If it was, if it was all gone and we never went back into it, how much better would our life be? What would be the things that we would do this year that we're not going to, if that was the case? If none of our money was going in this hole, and that hole wasn't there, and it wasn't going to suck us dry for the next 20 years, what might we do this year with our time? And what are all the things we can do that are great and wonderful that don't cost something? Like, take a freaking walk. You know, this is how you improve that part of your life and get a spouse on board. I don't think you can do it, though, when one is fully living in the fictitious world of modern society and the other one is extracting themselves from it. What you're more likely to find out, though, is that many of your friends are not your friends and that you won't want to be around them. And it may mean a lot of loneliness for a while because you'll find yourself standing amongst a group of people that you used to be friends with, that you used to talk to all the time, that you used to agree with all the time, and you'll listen to them talk and you will think, oh my God, will you people shut the F up. You will not believe the level of ignorance of the average person when you stop being one. It will be hard to comprehend that you used to be part of that. 
And one of the things you better realize is you did used to be part of that. That did, that is who you used to be. You used to be in there nodding your head saying, yeah, 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 you're right, man. We need to do something about this. Knowing that, knowing full well that you guys weren't going to do anything about anything. And you'll be sitting there thinking, man, I have all these things in my life that are important to me now. And all the things these people are talking about are things that used to suck my energy and my time. And then you might actually try to tell them that. And then they'll get really, really angry with you. And they will ostracize you and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You got to think about it this way. If a person's in deep sleep, REM sleep, dream sleep, comfortable, the temperature's just right for them, and they're just knocked out, and they're living a fantasy in their dream, do you think they're going to want you to wake them up? See, but they'll thank you for waking them up when they're ready to get up. If they were going to oversleep and they were going to be late for work and you call them, they're like, oh my God, I'm glad you called, dude. My alarm didn't weigh off. I was going to be late for work. I got to go, man. Thanks. Right? Because they were ready to wake up. So you can only actually help people wake up when they want to wake up, when they have a reason to wake up. You can't wake up the slumbering who wish to remain asleep without getting a violent, visceral reaction. So you may find that groups of people And it won't be like this big, you know, reality TV breakup thing. You'll just go, I don't really want to hang out here anymore. My wife and I experienced this recently in a totally different way, a way that gets made fun of on sitcoms and things like that. But I love Jimmy Buffett's music. I always have. Uh, I love his voice. I love the poetry in a lot of Buffett's music. You you only hear one or two songs on on the radio, but if you're a Buffett fan, you know there is this huge plethora of of probably over a thousand songs, and there's probably a hundred that are just beautiful, poetic stories and, and things that really touch your heart, like Little Miss Magic. If you have a daughter... Or just know someone that has a daughter and you adore that girl, like a niece or something like that. That song is one of the most magical songs. And he's fun too and he inspires all of this party and jovialism and stuff like that. So usually when Jimmy Buffett comes to Texas, we get the best seats we can. We get as close to the stage as we can and we go hang out. And a lot of the craziness that's going on, we kind of observe it and enjoy it, but we don't really participate. But eh. And I remember when I was 25, I was that guy. Right? And that's how long I've been a fan. That I've been a fan of Jimmy Buffett before my 20th birthday. So I'm going to be 44 this year, some 45, I don't know, 25 years or more. So we went to the last one. And there's guys smoking dope, and the, and the cops are looking the other way. Like, you're at a Jimmy Buffett concert, that's going to happen. And people are spilling drinks and acting up and falling over drunk and all. And, you know, we watched John Fogarty. He was actually really, really good for how long that guy's been around as the opening act. And we watched about 45 minutes of Jimmy. And we look around, and we think, you know, if we stay here, we're not going to get out of the parking lot till after midnight and it'll be a two-hour drive home. We'll get home at 2.30 in the morning. And it's about 10.30 right now. We looked at each other, shook our heads, left our high-priced seats, walked up in the stadium to the top of the stadium, and he was playing a cool song. So we stood there and we listened to that cool song, and we walked out 
And we got in our car, we got on the freeway, and we drove home with no traffic. And we were much happier for it. That's a metaphor to a lot of the people that may be in your life if you're still slumbering and asleep. And you may end up leaving early and going home and focusing on your own life versus their opinion of you in the future. And it's not exactly easy. And you may find that since now you're part of the minority of people, that it's a little harder to find quote-unquote friends that think that way. And I'm not suggesting you write everybody that's asleep off, but I'm telling you the more you wake up, the less time you're going to desire to spend with them. And this even includes your own family, and you'll find yourself taking family together, and it's totally different. Like, this is my brother or my cousin or whatever, and you'll enjoy that you're there, but when they bring up all the bullshit, you'll just be like, oh, yeah, hey, how do you think the Cowboys are going to do this year? How do you think the Steelers are going to do this year? Because you're not going to want to have the discussion with them because you know you can't. You know they're not ready, and you just have to have conversations about other things. You can enjoy them as family, but you're not going to interact with them the same way anymore. Because you're going to find that 95% of what they care about, even if you have concern about it, you know you have no influence over it. And you're going to find yourself, as you design your own lifestyle, focusing on the things that you have influence on, not the things you care about. And what this leads me to next is, this is the Survival Podcast, right? And we talk about preparedness, everything from storing food to financial management to emergency supplies to insurances to hedging against inflation. Being a modern survivalist, having skills, you know, you name it. And, you know, I have 12 tenants for this, and it revolves around the, the basic human needs of food, water, shelter, energy, security, and health and sanitation. And... A lot of people poo-poo preparedness, and they put stupid shows on like Doomsday Preppers and crap like that. But preparedness must be part of lifestyle design if you're doing it right. And I, this is another one of these non-optional things. And let me explain to you why it's true. Well, what would you say about someone who designed a ship with no flotation devices and lifeboats on it? Well, they're a moron, and you don't want to be on their ship. Because if the ship sinks... You have to have plans for redundancy. What about somebody that designed a building with elevators but no stairwells? I know it can't be done under law and code, and it's probably a good law and code, but I, I think that you would say that's not the architect for me. Because if there's a fire and people are on the 18th floor and they have to wait for an elevator and only so many people fit on the elevator and the elevator is... I mean, they need, there needs to be a plan for getting out. Not to mention, we should probably have sprinklers in this building so if there's a fire, we can put it out. And a fire warning system so if a fire starts somewhere, we know about it, we can extinguish it. When you design a car, do you not design preparedness into the vehicle? A spare tire. I mean, I know some new cars come without one now, which is preposterous. But when you design a car, you, you think about, well, if things break, how do we make sure no one gets hurt? If you think about it, there's nothing in the world... Um, that's of, of, of real value, that, that people depend on, that any good designer designs without redundancies in it. So I would just say to you, is not your life more important to you than your car? Is not your life more important to you than an office building? Is not your life more important to you than a street? 
Is your knife not more important to you than a boat? So if, if all of those things are designed with redundancy in mind, if all of those things have preparedness built into them in case of damage, in case of danger, in case of accident, in case of failure, we design networks, for God's sakes, that have failover. When I used to be in network hardware, we had network hardware that allowed you to put in a network in your building And if any link failed, it formed a ring back in the opposite direction and all the devices stayed up. I have a UPS plugged into my computer right now. If the power goes off, it gives me another 45 minutes of power. It's not even really for the 45 minutes. It's for the two minutes I need to save everything and shut the system down so that all the work is not lost. So I've, I've designed redundancy into my freaking computer, not because I'm a prepper, because I don't, I'm sitting here right now looking at the timeline, I have 55 minutes recorded, it goes off, it's lost, I have to redo that. So I've designed redundancy into my computer with a UPS. I used to help clients re design redundancy in a network, so that if one system failed, the rest of the system could continue to operate. We changed Christmas lights so that one light goes out, they don't all go out. Right? So if all of those things warrant redundancy and preparedness and thought in their design, doesn't your life deserve that? I mean, when you tell me that you have friends that think prepping in any way is crazy, and what should you say to them? I think in some ways you should not bother. Do not cast your pearls among swine, okay? But... <laughs> <laughs> I think if there's anything that's, that's less compelling than that, I'm not sure, or more compelling than that, I don't know what it is. If we design safety, security, and redundancy, because most of these people are like safety nuts. They, they, can't, they can't conceive of a world where a child would ride a bicycle without a helmet and, shoulder, or, and uh, elbow pads and knee pads. If they saw the things my friends and I used to do on bicycles with no safety equipment at all, they'd have a freaking heart attack. But they don't have a flashlight, for God's sake, if the power goes out. Or if they do, it's got corroded batteries in it, and they haven't looked at it in 15 months. And you're crazy for doing it. Well, if you want to design your lifestyle, and you want to meet whatever definition for personal liberty you come up with, you're going to find, if you put thought into your definition of personal liberty, doing it without preparedness and redundancy will be impossible. Because even if you get everything you want, you're one accident, one event, one mistake away from losing it all unless you build redundancy and preparedness into it. So it has to have at least basic preparedness for everything from a job loss to sickness or death in the family to a storm to damage to your home to a flood. All of the basic preparedness that we talk about has to be in a lifestyle that has personal liberty in it. If you don't go to personal, if you don't have preparedness in your life and you take a track toward personal liberty and you're sincere with it, you will come to preparedness. The, the two will circle to each other. I also believe if you do not have 
a, a path in mind for personal liberty right now, all you think is, I just want to be prepared. And if you're sincere about your preparedness and you think rationally and you don't buy you know, pallets of MREs, stick them in the closet, and now think you're prepared for the end of the world as we know it, if you actually think logically and go, what are the most likely things? How, let's put together a blackout kit. Let's put together a bug-out bag. Let's put together a basic medical kit. Let's have some basic pharmaceuticals on hand in case we can't get to the store and somebody's sick. I mean, things like gasix with this illness that I just had. Gas pain. I mean, people laugh. Oh, you had to fart. Uh, whatever. No. No. Real gas pain is, is intense. It's debilitating. It knocks you out. You can't do anything. You sit there and writhe in pain. Not occasional little bits of gas, but gas pain that swells through your stomach and pressures your intestines to where you can't even think. Gas is cheap. should be on hand. During, a, you know, like your power's out, you're frozen in from an ice storm. You can't be down. You got to take care of your family if you're going to have personal liberty. And, and something like not having that basic thing. When I say basic, I mean very basic preparedness. Going through all the things that could go wrong and ticking the boxes. How do we build redundancy for these things? You, you have to shut off the TV and stop being mad about the wrong things. You, you have to. If you are angry about something an elected official has done every day of your life, you will never have personal liberty. The amount of energy it takes to be angry is extensive. It, it, it occupies an extreme portion of the brain, being angry. Anger is something we all struggle with. Sometimes I truly struggle with anger. But I try to confine my anger to two things. One, rapidly dissipating anger. If I have to, I'll go hit a heavy bag. At least I'll get some physical exercise out of it and I'll be in better shape. You know? Just get past it. Or anger that is motivational to get me to get something done. I think being angry because your job sucks and thinking I have got to make it better is positive anger. Being angry because the president said something on CNN today is stupid. But, check, he's saying, I don't care. Let me ask you, what will your anger do to change that? Well, if everybody thought like that, everybody does think like that. Everybody thinks like you or an opposition to you, so you cancel each other out. The people that are polarized in this don't understand what you've really become. You, you, just think of it this way, and I won't say who's positive and who's negative, okay? Because that would be kind of, you know, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. But let's just think of it this way. Your two main camps in the dichotomy are protons and electrons, positive and negative charge. And when you put equal amounts together, you get neutral. You, you, get, a, you get a net nothing. You're like... Matter and antimatter without the energy from combination. It's just like, like, a, like, a, you're like a one and a zero that become a zero. You counterbalance each other so perfectly that everything stays the way that it is and continues on the course that it's on. The, the country today is not headed for hell in a handbasket because of how people vote. It's headed for hell in a handbasket because of how people think. So you have to think differently. And that means that if you believe the solution exists in the system that caused the problem in the first place, you're delusional. 
There's a famous Einstein quote on this. I won't quote it because it's quoted way too often. But it's true. You're not going to get a different result from the same application. And if you think about it, this country has, has moved forward toward the oblivion it's on the track for. It hasn't stopped moving in that direction once in your adult life for most of you. Not once. And there's been times where the Democrats have controlled everything. There's been times where the Republicans have controlled everything. And there's been times where the power has been split in, in every different way that it could. And in the end, the country is headed in the exact same direction. So why do you think if your side gets in charge, that's going to change? It's not. And again, what can you really do about it? The next time you're in your house, if you're not there right now, I want you to just stand in your home. And I want you to look from your backyard to your front yard to your side yards. And I want you to realize this piece of dirt, in spite of the infringements that are upon it by government at every level, and if you have an HOA, you have another layer of government, is yours. And you control this to a large degree with some limitations. If you're unhappy with the limitations, then maybe you need to find another piece of dirt to camp out on. Okay, But you control that. I want you to look down at your feet and your legs and your arms and your hands and your body, and you control that to a large degree. There's diseases and illnesses that can come disrupt that, but you control that. I want you to take your hands, and I want you to put them on, on, your, on the sides of your head or your temples. There's a three-pound piece of fat in between your hands right now. It's called your brain, and you control that. If you have a family, then you control your relationships with them. If you have a dog, you control how you train it and you, how you pet it and how you make it part of your family. You control whether you pick up the mess that's in your house or leave it lay. You control what you study today, what you learn today, and how you apply it or don't apply it. All of these things take time. All of these things take energy. And every single moment that you spend thinking about something that you do not control takes energy that could be applied to what you want and applies it to what you'll never have. Control over another being. So that's the problem. What you really want is you want to control what they're doing. You can't. You're not going to. Forget that the system's rigged and the table is tilted. Just That doesn't even matter. You're still not going to control what other people do. You're not going to elect anybody that's going to do what you want. The people that want to be elected want to control other people, and you don't. But yet you do. There's this inherent need. I want things to be the way I want them. Well, you can only have that one place in your life. You don't get to have that in anybody else's life. You and I will not agree on 100% of things. And you and any other human being that you find on planet Earth will never agree on 100%. So you have to focus on what you actually control. Now, people will say, well, you know, what about just tuning out for a while and relaxing and laughing and having a... Yeah, that's all fine. That's all fine. I, I, I come down on the adult video game addicts from time to time, and then I get the oversensitive teacups among you. Every once in a while, I play some video games at night for an hour or two, and it's just how I tune out. You watch TV, I play video games. What's the problem? There is no problem. 
You know full well the type of video game player I'm talking about. I'm talking about the 35-year-old that still lives in his mom's house, that spends the majority of his time, if he's not working whatever part-time job he has or doesn't have, playing freaking video games and thinks it's actually important whether he gets to the next level or not. Because he's still 14 in his head. And if, if I talk about that person and it bothers you because you play video games a few times a week for a couple hours, grow the hell up. And I wanted to say F up. I really did. Because you're being a child. Again, you're worried about my opinion that doesn't even apply to you and you've assigned it to yourself because of your personal attachment. Well, this is pointless. It doesn't help you. I don't care if you want to play video games. I do care... If you're at a point where you should be carrying your own weight, providing for yourself, and you're still living off other people, and you're playing video games instead of seeing to those responsibilities. And frankly, I care if you're doing anything other than seeing to your responsibility. I don't care if it's video games. I don't care if it's playing Dungeons and Dragons when you're 35. I don't care if it's picking your butthole. I want you to stand up and be a responsible member of society and take care of yourself. And I really care if you're a father and you have kids and instead of being a parent, you're wasting your time on piddly bullshit that doesn't matter. But in the end, I don't care that much. I'm giving you my opinion because that's what my job is. Trust me, when I shut this microphone off today finish up my stuff, and I work in my backyard on the stuff that has to be done out there today, I don't give a shit what you're doing. I really don't care. But if you're going to come to me and ask me how to live a more positive life, I'm going to tell you you can't be doing that shit. To the exclusion of that, what's important? Video games just happen to be a thing that a lot of males into their 40s are using today to do other than what's necessary to build a positive life. So I don't care if you're 52 and you play video games. If you play video games here and there because it's a recreational activity, I don't care. I actually don't care if you're doing it to the point where you're destroying your life. But I'll tell you if you are. I don't want to hear you why. I can't get ahead. But you, 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 you've gotten to every level of whatever. Right? It's true with TV, too. Yeah, we watch TV. But I'll get on your shit if you live in the TV. I, I usually don't turn the TV on on a given day until about 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then it's in the background and I'm not paying attention. I watch just enough of the news so that I can be just informed enough that I know when I'm hearing bullshit, right? But I don't sit down and watch it. I don't get up in the morning and turn the TV on. I get up in the morning and turn the coffee maker on and walk my property. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but I'm saying you should be doing something for yourself. The TV is not going to help you. It's entertainment and it's education. And it can be used those two ways effectively. Most of the rest of it is garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. It's an old saying for a reason. Um, I also say that, you know, if you, if you, if you listen to a lot of people that are like life coaches and stuff like that, they always say, write down your plan. The big difference between people that achieve and people don't, that don't achieve, they write down their plan, they set goals, they make lists. I'm going to tell you, I think that's bullshit. I think some people should write it down and others should not even worry about it. It depends on you and what kind of person you are. I don't make lists. About the only lists I make are my bullet points so I can talk to you guys. So just stay on point and kind of get things done in a somewhat formulaic manner so it works for a show. 
I don't sit down in the morning and make a list of everything that needs to be done unless I feel that I've gotten really behind. And then I'll list everything to prioritize it, but it's a very brief list. I don't set my life goals in a journal. When we decided to get out of debt, we didn't write, we did not write a financial plan to get out of debt. Um, we didn't even figure out how long it was going to take. We just simply said, my wife and I had that meeting you're talking about. And it was more, at that time, it was more her than me. She just calculated how many years it would be if we kept doing things the way we were before we were debt free and it scared her. But as soon as she told me, I went, yeah, you're right. And then we just said, you know what? We're not living like this. And we just stopped buying anything we didn't need. We just didn't. If we didn't need, we're like, okay, everything we want we can have later. Everything we need we'll buy now because we need it. If, it's, if we're not going to die without it, we're just not going to have it. And we would say, you know, once a month maybe we're going to go out to eat anyway or, or what have you until this is done. And we'll have some fun, and we'll figure out things to do that don't cost money. And we will take every extra penny, as long as we're still saving some money, and we'll apply it to one debt until that debt's gone. And when that's gone, we'll just take all the extra money and apply it to the next smallest debt. And we'll just keep doing that until we get to the big debt, and then all the debt will be gone. And in less than two years, all the debt was gone. All the debt except our home. I remember one day, she got so mad at me because I was right. We had a truck payment and a car payment, and we had paid the truck off, and we owed, I think it was like $4,800 on the car. And we had been saving money, so there was plenty of money in the bank to pay for the car. And I said, just write a check for $4,800, transfer it from savings, and pay it off. <laughs> and she is, but, you know, we need money this way, and, like, we'll still have it, and, you know, we can just make the payments or double payments. And, and I just said, honey... If the car was paid off right now and there was $4,800 less in our accounts and you got a letter in the mail that said they would loan us $4,800 on our car under the exact same payment terms that we have now and you could take that loan and put the $4,800 in the bank and start paying on the loan, would you take out the loan? She thinks about it and you can see understanding and anger. And she said, and one of the few times my wife used the effort, she said, oh, F it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> and she wrote the check. And then the next month we went, we have the electric bill, the cable bill, and the cell phone bill, and the water sewer bill, and the mortgage. And that's it. We're done. And our lives got better from that day forward. We didn't write it down. You might have to. It's very difficult for most people to be that disciplined without a written plan and a written budget. But it doesn't work for everybody. It's your life. You have to live it the way you want to. I say not to use credit cards. And I, you know, I confessed about, uh, about six months ago, I got a credit card again. And the reason I did so was because I had so much trouble renting a car. And for years, people would say, well, you got to rent a car, rent a car. I said, you get a check debit card with Visa or MasterCard logo on it, 
and you go rent a car. And yeah, they put a couple extra hundred bucks against it, but you know, it, it's it's all washes out in the end when you pay your bill, and, and there's no problem. And we started having more and more and more problems just to rent a car using a debit card with a with a credit card logo on it. And we had a point where we ended up paying twice as much for a vehicle because the company we had reservations with would not accept the, the debit card. And we had to take what was available and things like that. And I went, fine, damn it, I'll get a credit card. So I use a credit card only for that. That's the only thing we use a credit card for. And by the way, when we come back and they go, do you want us to run it on that card? We say, no, because they'll take the debit card when you when you render payment. So we'll render payment off our debit card. So we only actually use it to hold the car while we drive it. You know, but if you want credit cards and you think you can do it responsibly and you always pay your balance and, and what have you and, and, and everything is super for you in your life and you get your cash back and you, you think that it matters, you are free to do that. I don't think you should, but if that's what you want to do, you're completely free to do it. And you're free to write your plan down or not write your plan down. But I think you need to figure out what works for you and you need to do that. What I want to finish up with is how this is different from life coaching and motivational speaker BS and things like that. Um, I'm not going to tell you, just do this and it'll work. I have, no, I have no idea whether what I'm telling you will work for you or not. I have no idea whether you're disciplined enough or not. I have no idea whether you want it enough or not. And I know that positive thinking alone will not make it happen. And I'm not trying to sell you DVDs and a, and a seminar ticket. I don't actually give a shit on an individual level if you listen to me. I don't care. I don't care if you choose not to join my MSB. I don't care if you listen to this one podcast as an individual and say, this guy's nuts, I don't want to hear his sanctimonious bullshit anymore, and turn me off. I don't care. I care that some listen. I care that many listen. I care that many choose to implement these solutions, and I know from feedback, that it works, not just for me. I know that it's worked for thousands and thousands of people, and I do it to help people. But I don't... I, I love when I get an email from one person. I was going to join the... I got one just the other day. I was going to join the MSB. I thought it was pretty cool, but then I found two things that were factually wrong about what you said about global warming, and they're not true, and there's no way that I can support someone that's doing what you're doing. Okay, Fine. I, it was written with a tone as though I'm supposed to give a shit. Like, I have the, the, the time and the energy to give a shit individually about every single person's opinion of what I do and say. I probably care more than I should. I probably do. Because I so want to help people. But when it comes down to it, I don't have the time, the energy, or the resources to give a shit at the individual level about everybody's opinion of me, especially when that opinion is, you're wrong. Great. Go find what works for you and leave me alone. Because I have thousands of people that want to hear what I have to say, that want to apply these things in their life, that are working for greater personal liberty, and my job is not to pull you out of your negativity. It's certainly not to turn my back on everything I've stood for for six years with this show and go do what you want because your opinion is more important than the rest of the people. My job is to work with the people that want to be worked with, to teach the people that want to learn from my viewpoint. And if you don't like it, I don't give a shit. 
And the reason I'm saying that is not just as a message to the people that don't like it, because that's what the message I have for everybody today. That's your, your attitude has to be that. If someone doesn't like the clothes you're wearing or what you've said or what color your skin is or how big your nose is or the shape of your ass or the, the way you phrase things or the car you drive or the color of your lawn, you have to not give a shit. Up until the point where they actually have the ability to impact your life, you should not care. If someone doesn't like the color of your grass and they're causing you to have a fine in an HOA, you care and you have to do something about it. If, if your neighbor who lives in a place where they don't have any authority says, I don't like the way you keep your grass. I don't like the way your ass looks, but we're going to have to learn to live with each other. Good luck with life, dude. Seriously, people spend most of their time and energy today trying to fit in with what other people think they're supposed to be. You can't have personal liberty that way. I mean, really, I say the first step is to think for yourself, but the first step in thinking for yourself is probably to not give a shit what people think about you that don't impact your life. Because a lot of the things that you think and you make to be reality for yourself, you do so solely because other people care and you give a shit what they think. I don't have time to care what you think. I really don't. And again, I'm not saying that you personally. If you listen to this show and you participate in this show, And I don't mean just as a paying customer, because I, I treat everybody the same. I love when people, well, I am an MSB member. I can't believe you told me that. Well, I'll tell you the same thing whether you are or not. You want equality, you'll get it here. You won't get favoritism. But if you participate in the show, you comment in the blog, you tell other people about it, you spread the message, I care immensely about you. But the person that drive by sniper? And that's who most of these people in your life are. They're drive-by snipers. I was I was out one time with my wife, and I hadn't shaved for a while. I had my, my mountain man-looking thing going on, and this shirt with a hole in it, right? You know, I don't look like a vagrant or anything, but I certainly don't look like really well put together today. I haven't cleaned up, so to speak. She goes, I can't believe that you just don't care what these people think of you. I'm like, I'll never see any of these people ever again for the rest of my life. But they're people. So? They, they won't remember me. I can walk up to them tomorrow, and they're not going to remember seeing me today. I don't have time to worry about them. I'm like this because you wanted to go, and I didn't have time to do anything about it, and I don't really give a shit, so let's just get our stuff and get out of here. You know? What will people think? I don't care. Let me tell you, the biggest control of the American population today isn't done with code and law. It's done with conventional norms and expectations of society. Most of the chains that people wear today, they put on by choice, and they paint them and decorate them, and they decorate their cell. There's no law that requires most people to do most of the things that are the most limiting in their lives. They'll bitch about the law, but they'll choose slavery in places where they don't have to. There's no law that makes you borrow more money than you can afford, whether it's to go to school or to buy some piece of crap. There's no law that makes you need to care what other people think. Now, the school system's done a great job of that. That's probably one of the most detrimental things about the school system. Yeah, you fit in in school or you wish you did. You can't not give a shit what other people think about you when you're in a, a basically a part-time prison, which is what our public school system is. Get your kids the hell out of there if you can. And if you can't, make sure you're teaching them how to deal with that. And make sure you're teaching them the most important thing about school. It's not reality, Johnny. 
None of these people will give a shit about you two years after you graduate, and you won't give a shit about them. And everything that I know you think is important today will not be tomorrow. You won't care about the party you went to or didn't go to. In fact, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You will have some friends, and you will do some things that will be fun, and you will enjoy yourself. And there will be some people in your life that are sad people, and you won't know they're sad for, until years from now. You're going to meet them 10 years after you get out of school, and all they're going to talk about is, remember when this, remember when that, the Glory Day song from Bruce uh, Springsteen. And you're going to think, oh, I forgot all about that. Now, isn't that the greatest time we ever had? And you're going to think, no. The greatest time I ever had was teaching my son how to fish. Was loving my wife. Was helping someone that fell down get up. The greatest time in my life is now, and the, the greater time of my life is going to be tomorrow. And you're going to think that person's sad, and, and they are, and they don't know how to be any different because they haven't chosen to wake up yet. Have those conversations with your kids, especially when they're, they're in public school. Because all the clicks and all the bullshit that they are being programmed to believe matters, it's not just the damage it does while they're there, it's the damage it does for the rest of their lives. The reason you believe you have to dress a certain way, drive a certain car, all of it was programmed into you in those early days. Because the reality is it doesn't matter now. None of these people affect you at all. You want to design a lifestyle on perfect, uh, personal liberty? There's your first step. Realize how many people you have opinions of that you have no influence over and stop wasting your energy there. And realize how many people you're worried about their opinions of you that have no influence on your life whatsoever and stop worrying about their opinion. And focus on your own life. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution